our podcast, Critical Conversations. My name is Emily and I'm joined here with Fiona and we are your hosts for today. Our guest today is Liz Higgins and she is the CNM3 CAR-T Service Coordinator here at St. James's Hospital. St. James's made history in December of 2021 when it became the first hospital in the country to deliver this particular treatment. So thank you very much, Liz, for joining us today. We're delighted to have you. Um, so we'll get straight on to our first question then. So I suppose, can you tell us a little bit about your background in nursing and your transition into this particular role? Yeah, so my background, I suppose, when I, probably my first introduction to haematology was um, many, many, many years ago, I have to admit, um, and when I went traveling to Australia, I had never worked at haematology. And my first job when I went out there was on into a transplant unit. So it was very much a rude awakening and I really did not know what I was doing. But um, yeah, I stayed in it and I worked in Australian transplant unit for uh, just over a year came back to Ireland and um, my intention was from then was to actually, um, I'm from Wexford, so it was to stay that part of the country, but um, I ended up coming to St. James's and I was going to stay here for about three months to again in hematology and transplant. And um, probably about 30 years later, I'm still here. So I um, I worked as a staff nurse in the transplant unit, the Walmart transplant unit um, for about 10 years. And then I transitioned from that into the manager of the transplant unit seen it too and then back in 2005 and um, I transgressed into the um, transplant coordinator role so that really is just where you know we, we are the national um, adult allergenic stem cell transplant unit so that's just coordinating all the transplants and I went into the lymphoid side of that um, and then about four years ago um, CAR T started to be mentioned and um, a CAR-T really at the moment is predominantly for patients with a lymphoid malignancy. And because that was my background in the transplant coordination, uh, um, I was approached and asked if I would think about um, considering doing this. Didn't really know much about CAR-T, had to do a lot of reading. Um, and gradually, bit by bit, I found myself getting more involved. And then I was officially appointed into a post as the CAR-T service coordinator. So in other words, set up the mm-hmm. service um, just over a year ago. And you know, I've kind of been working on it for three years prior to that. So that really, again, was um, something that it was more of a project management um, than um, a nursing role, I suppose. And really, when I went into the post first, it was more advertised like as a party coordinator, whereas I found very quickly it was actually more about developing the service. Um, so that was a very much an education for me as well. You know, development of all the protocols, policies, educations, and... Um, and a huge amount of networking with colleagues mm. around the world, to be honest with you, and um, developed contacts with colleagues in the US and in the UK, which were extremely helpful. And yeah, from there then, as you say, we had our first patient in December, and it was about four years of work to get to that. Get to that point, uh, yeah, yeah. But it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who's listening out there that might not have heard of this particular mm. type of therapy, then CAR-T therapy, can you explain to us um, a little bit about what actually it is then, how it works? Yeah. So, I mean, it is defined as an immunotherapy mm-hmm. and really what uh, what we're doing, I suppose, is manipulating a person's own immune system to actually target and fight a specific cancer cell. Um, and that's what you would like to think the immune system does anyway. Um, so patients um, with a, a lymphoid malignancy at the moment, and there are a few indications that are licensed at the moment, but um, we harvest their T cells. So they're the, one of their immune cells. That's an apheresis procedure. It's normally tolerated really well. The patient is just, it's a day war procedure sitting on a couch connected to this apheresis machine. Um, and we literally take blood from them. The apheresis machine will collect the T cells. They're given everything else back that we don't require. 
those T cells then are sent to our cryobiology lab. Um, and from there, then they're exported to the manufacturing company. Um, and that can be in Europe or can be in the States. And um, the T cells then are genetically modified in, in, in the manufacturers um, using a viral vector. And really what that is, is then it's, it's um, getting these T cells to actually attack um, a protein on the cancer cell surface. Um, that whole process of um, getting of, of modifying the T cells, shall I say, takes probably about 28 days to a month. Um, so that's the, the that was a really difficulty, certainly in the clinical trial setting, and even today, uh, is trying to keep patients well enough during that period of time, because these patients have extremely aggressive disease, and um, their disease is not in control, and that's why we're taking them to a CAR T um, treatment option. So at that stage, we're trying to look at what we call bridging therapy. And the whole idea of bridging therapy is to hold the patient, keep them stable, stop the disease taking off, to prevent them from dying in that month while the cells are being manufactured. That can be a combination of chemotherapy, radiation, or both. Um, and then that can be delivered in the parent hospital, referring hospital we can deliver here in St. James, depending on what decision is made. And that's a decision that's made at our multidisciplinary team meetings. Patient um, T cells are then returned to our cryobiology lab, whether they come back cryopreserved, and um, we store them there until we're ready to reinfuse them. Patients at the moment um, are admitted to an allergenic stem cell transplant unit, which in James is down Sparket, where the expertise to say in nursing is. Uh, they have three days of lymphodepletion chemotherapy. And really, the intent of that is just to make space for the immune system for these new T cells to take. And then they have a gap um, two days, and the T cells are reinfused. Um, and the T cell reinfusion is probably a little bit of an anticlimax because it's a tiny volume, but they're infused intravenously and via a double lumen pick line in the arm. And um, yeah, and then they're monitored for about two weeks. And that's the critical two weeks um, after, after the T cells go in. Okay. So you're really just tricking an immune system, I suppose, to recognize a cancer cell and directly go after it and attack it. So I suppose in terms of the, the patient's journey, you kind of talked about that a little bit there, but it's um it's it's a very difficult process for them because they're kind of at the end, I suppose. Yeah. Well. The beauty, I suppose, of CAR T cell therapy is up until we, we didn't have this. So when we would see patients that are referred to us, and we would have patients referred from all over the country. They would normally be referred for stem cell transplant because they would have primary refractory disease, um, meaning that they haven't responded to first line chemotherapy. So the indications, I suppose, really are patients with a diffuse large B cell lymphoma, um, which is a high grade lymphoma, and um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, but we can only that's only up to the age of 25. So um, so that obviously would be young kids with leukemia as such, but they're really the only two indications that we are funded for in Ireland at the moment. But prior to CAR T cell therapy, we would have um, received referrals for these patients for stem cell transplant. And ideally, for to take somebody to a stem cell transplant and be used donor transplant or use, using their own stem cells, we really do need them to be in remission to get any kind of disease control and remission status, potentially cure afterwards. With CAR T, they don't have to be in remission. So for the CAR T patients, when we take them over they have failed second line therapy so they've had their first line of chemotherapy they have either been refractory to that in the sense that their disease has not done anything immediately at the end of that treatment or they've gone into remission and they have relapsed and they have failed second line therapy so once we know they failed second line therapy they have to have failed second line therapy then we can take them to a CAR T so they have been through a lot of treatment I suppose they've been through two really systemic therapies 
and they also have pretty aggressive disease because it's not responding to uh, standard chemotherapy. So yeah, it's it's a, a daunting process for them. But prior to CAR T, we would potentially be talking palliation and um, or potentially more chemotherapy, and you're really trying to get them into a remission. So you're really beating them up with more and more and more chemotherapy. Whereas now we can potentially say to them that we've got a potential new treatment that is potentially curative. It certainly does not work for everybody. Um, but we think you know that it gives patients that otherwise would have had no other option a really good treatment option. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're looking at probably about 40% uh, cure rate with CAR-T. So you know, people say, God, that's not great, but if you're falling into that category that you're one of the 40% mm-hmm. that otherwise would have gone to palliation, then you know that it, it is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. So ICU have been involved in the process of facilitating this treatment. So what's the role for ICU then for these patients? Yeah, so, um, and it was it was great actually when doing all my coordination, working with all the intensive care girls, um, your help has been absolutely amazing. Um, and really where ICU come into it is that these patients, it's CAR-T therapies associated with two very, very specific side effects. Um, cytokine release syndrome and ICADS, which is immune effector cell associated um, neurotoxicity syndrome multiple but I can't for short they are very much as I said unique to CAR T cell therapy and um, that's when we need our intensive, intensive colleagues to come on board if the patients do develop this and we can't manage it in the unit so CRS basically is um, a systemic inflammatory response to um, the increase in all these T cell activity and um, so all these cytokines are literally released into the system um, and the patients can become very unwell very quickly. And it can be associated with sepsis as well because these patients are immunocompromised at this stage, have probably very low white cell count. So trying to recognize as a sepsis or a cytokine release. So we treat the both. And usually how it manifests itself, and it manifests itself pretty early, it's probably by day three into um, the CAR-T, is high temperatures. Mm. Um, so signs and symptoms of sepsis, to be honest with you. Um, and when we look, this is when we start looking to our intensive care colleagues, obviously, um, is that when the patient's blood pressure, they become hypotensive or they become hypoxic. Now, there is a really um, detailed gridding um, system to monitor for CRS and from, the, from a nursing perspective and from a medical perspective. And it's graded from one to four, uh, grade one being the least severe, grade four being the most. On, on the grading system, it says that we would ask our intensive care colleagues to get involved at grade three. And that's when they are hypertensive, potentially requiring iron drugs mm. um, and requiring 60 plus more oxygen and high temperatures up in the 38s. But we really answered our experience today with you guys as you, you, you intervened much earlier, mm. which is brilliant. Um, but certainly with the use of um, a drug called toxiluzumab, and it's an IL-6 receptor antagonist, um, we are definitely seeing um, less severe CRS. Um, and how that drug wor- works, it just aborts the response. Um, and so patients are really, if we get in there much earlier, um, we're so used to it now, and certainly with the, all the clinical trials, patients, a lot of patients potentially died from CRS because we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't fully understand. We didn't know about toxicismab. Um, but our our treatment policy is now, as soon as patients start to develop anything that looks like a 
hospitals, CRS, the weed being early toxins and other, and hopefully you will see less and less patients mm -hmm. coming to the intensive care mm -hmm. unit. Now certainly it's not going to work for everybody and um, but certainly the early intervention from you guys is amazing and it has really helped us I suppose um, and but we are hoping that you know, we will, as time goes on, we get more familiar with it as well and with the use of the toxicism that we will see less and less people having to come to intensive care. So that's CRS. And then the other one is the ICANS, which is a neurological uh, syndrome. And really, it's not fully understood what happens. And um, we think it's a collection of all of these cytokines of the blood-brain barrier. And um, patients um, come into hospital, we do a general assessment on them as they come in. They're given a little notebook um, to write a sentence. And the sentence could be anything. It can be their name, it can be the name of the dog, whatever. But they do this task twice a day with the nursing team. And how we notice that potentially ICANS is kicking in is the writing starts to go off the page or we could become that we can't read it. And patients themselves might think they're fine. Mm -hmm. And then you might notice a little bit of confusion, a little bit of disorientation. They also get 10 questions and they're asked the same 10 questions two or three, four times a day. And there's a scoring system for that as well. And again, then, you know, there might be a city, the president of Ireland is today, and then they might have to stop and think about it tomorrow. Um, and then an hour later, they might not be able to tell you anything. Um, and then you, again, have a grading system for that. And again, it's on grade three icons that we would normally say to our tentacles to get involved. Neurology are involved absolutely as well. And the neurologists have been great. They've, come, they've seen our patients from day one. Um, and again, it's really, ICU becomes involved, these patients can develop severe confusion and they can actually start to have seizures. Um, and really at grade three, they're having seizures, but they're coming out of them spontaneously. Okay. Um, but they can go into complete coma and um, continuous seizures. Um, so at, at ICANN's grade three, we say inform ICU, but to be honest with you, again, we're informing you earlier mm. and the teams are coming down to review the patients and have taken them up really early first to the intensive care unit and you're probably if they're seizing obviously you're looking at intubation etc etc at that stage and um, again hydrosteroids is the treatment for that and that would have to be a, a consultant hematologist call mm -hmm. it's those really be. subtle signs i suppose initially but the writing is amazing mm. and i mean if you look at some of the writing you just think wow mm. today you know this morning was fine and within two hours it's completely gone off mm. they, don't, they can't write it all sometimes they can't even hold the pen and oh, wow. um, yeah and then you know they're talking gobbledygook and they don't know where they are they don't know what day it is they're totally oblivious and um, to all of this um, at that stage you want to intervene and there is we do absolutely start to intervene at grade two ourselves and um, with the, the hydrosteroids because i said that needs to be a consultant hematologist call and um, more often than not you can revert it there are other drugs, Anakin and Cetuximab is the other one that we can use if, if patients aren't responding. Uh, but that's, they're the two big reasons why we would ask our intensive care colleagues to get involved. And obviously severe sepsis that you see all the time from the hematology patients. If the patients um, go into septic shock, which hopefully very few people do now, but certainly still happens, then again, obviously we need our intensive care colleagues to, to manage that for sale. Yeah. Yeah. And from an ICU nursing point of view, is there anything, I know you spoke about the ICANN and the CRS yeah. release yeah, and everything, yeah. is there anything specifically that they should assess when the patients are here in ICU? 
I mean, I suppose if they're alert, yes, yeah, not, yeah. not, not, not sedated, mm. then yes, we would be asking you um, to do the ICANN scoring because even if they come to you with CRS, now the two can run concurrently, okay. but ICANNs can kick in later. And we would say CRS is normally about day three onwards. ICANNs could be anything, but it could be earlier, but normally we would look, say, from maybe about a week into it, but they can develop late onset ICANNs as well. And certainly when your patients have been discharged from the unit after two weeks, mm. you know, I certainly do say to them, look, if you do become confused or disorientated or their relatives relatives have to stay with them um, for another two weeks at least after discharge if you notice anything at all yeah. you know call us so from absolutely from the eye from the nursing perspective up here straightforward and the grading system so the two tools uh, literally is the handwriting for the icons and the questions so what day of the week is who's the president of ireland and there's and then name three objects in the room something like that and you literally grade according to the score the answers you're given and then you look at your scoring card and your scoring card tells you when to intervene and what to do and mm-hmm. um, and likewise with the crs um, if the temperature is 37.5 if the blood pressure is this then it's grade one if it was on to grade two but again then you get your what do you do with grade one what do you do with grade two so i mean i've absolutely i shared i i, I presume sorry you had those yeah. recipes but i've absolutely shared them with you yeah. like yeah, yeah 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 um and i suppose is there more kind of uh supporting documents that are available for staff even just general documents yeah know. yeah so we did a lot of documents so there's an overarching which screening selection and um, process we've done a patient information leaflet um there's obviously all of the side effects they're all documented as well then there's all of the um clinical notes they're all now actually electronic so we've tried to move away as much as we can from paper there's lots of information out there. There's a European Bone or European Hematology Association information booklet, which is really, really good. Um, if you Google CAR T, you will come up with 5,000 different. Um, everybody's talking about it. Um, and there's lots and lots of information. But certainly, any of the information booklets I have, what we've written, absolutely they're all on the st james intranet Try just to say that to you yeah 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 so if you go into the st james hospital website and you go into hematology departments and then you scroll down party all of the information is on that and in that actually you see the crs on the icons sop and how to manage it the patient information leaflet is in that the consent forms are in that and um this is all of the other documents mm-hmm. that we have to fill out it's interesting guys if you talk to um the clinic facilitator d in in, Bar- in Barcus, they've done an absolutely incredible nursing education um, assessment mm-hmm. and it's 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 amazing now, i don't know if i'd like to be doing this because it's very intense but um so the nurses actually they get a patient information booklet they get questions they have to do a simulation so they, they go into a situation where they're in a room and um, if there's a patient potentially, a real patient, and their handwriting starts to go off or they're given a scenario or the patient has a temperature and the facilitator asks them, how would you manage this? What do you do? What do you think is going on? Um, that's an incredibly, really, really, really good education tool. And we're really hoping to run that out for all of the... Um, you know, the likes of good stem cells, infusions, not only for CAR-T, for all of the hematological nursing and um, education. We hope to go that way. And it's in collaboration with Trinity. Oh, yeah, yeah, really? which is it was really good. Yeah, yeah. So certainly Dee can, can talk to you and uh, give you more information on that. Yeah. Excellent. That's yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much, please, for joining us. Um, and thanks to all our listeners as well. Um, please like, share and subscribe to Critical Conversations. And we look forward to talking to you all soon.